Congratulations, you've made it to episode 22 of the Project Geekology podcast, coming to you, not live, pre-recorded, from the Cliffs of Insanity uh, next to the Fire Swamp. And uh, we're going to be talking all about Princess Bride today. Welcome. My name is Dakota, and as always, I am joined with... Anthony. And this is actually a show that we've been wanting to do for a little bit. It's been on our uh, poll for a little over a month now at this point. And Graf Fuller, who is uh, one of uh, Geek Critique's oldest fans and subscribers, has been commenting every week about how Princess Bride is his favorite movie of all time. And knowing that, there's no way we can do the Princess Bride justice on a short hour-long podcast or so. But we will try. We will try our best. I mean, am I right, Anthony? Are we going to try? Yeah, I think I think we have it. I think we can do it. Yeah, uh, I'm excited because this is a movie that I hadn't seen since grade school. Honestly, I don't think I've seen this since like elementary school. Um, and oh wow, that's a long time. Yeah, so I I had uh, vague memories, but you know it's interesting. Sometimes like when you uh, experience something as a kid, those memories are very vivid. So a lot of the movie I remember pretty pretty well. Um, what about you? When was the last time you saw Princess Bride? The last time that I had seen Princess Bride, uh, I don't think it was that long ago. It had to have been within like the past couple of years, actually. So it was pretty fresh in my mind. And watching it again, I, I was able to kind of like remember a lot of stuff that I didn't remember. It's always a fun watch. Okay, cool. It, it, right. uh, it has some uh, has some moments where it makes me uh, chuckle. Well, before we begin, let's do our handy-dandy little segment that we love to do each and every week. What have you been up to this past week, Anthony? What have I been up to? I've actually been reading through Light of the Jedi. Whoa! I mean, that's... <laughs> Sorry, don't mean to sound like uh, facetious, but I'm, I am actually happy that you're going through that because that's a book that we plan on covering on the podcast in the near future. So if you are interested in... Um, that new era of star wars that takes place in the high republic and want to get caught up before we cover that which is probably in a couple weeks time do yourself a favor go grab yourself a copy maybe on audible listen to it um and or read it and you will hopefully be caught up by the time that we we do that episode so you can uh you know so you don't have to worry about spoilers and everything but uh how are you liking it so far anthony it's good as of recording i'm on chapter 13 and the story like just starts off with the action right away, so it's 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 an interesting story so far. I will say, um, and this is a common criticism for the book, that um, a lot of the first couple chapters are hard to get through because it's going through so many like POV characters before actually you start to like get to know any of them. But as soon as like the the, the first part of the book ends, you start to really see where this like universe is heading. So, yeah, that's cool, man. I'm excited to hear what you think once you're, you know, finished with that. What else have you been up to? Well, and then catching up with this movie, because I always like to have a fresh watch of any movie that we cover or any TV show or with Light of the Jedi, you know, like I'm trying to cover that because I know that we're going to get to the point to where we, we talk about it. So I've been doing that and gaming as always you know playing a little bit of uh galaxy of heroes with you guys and playing overwatch 
Yeah, uh, Overwatch 2 was, like, they just showed a lot of stuff from uh, BlizzCon recently, right? Yes. So if I remember correctly, I don't think that they've given a definitive date of release. But yeah, they've shown some, like, updated models, and it looks like some of these characters have aged a little bit. Not a lot, but just a little bit. Probably a couple years or so. Yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. So yeah, I haven't had too much craziness been going on this week how about you what have you been up to uh hmm actually that's a good question i don't really remember off the top of my head i know i did something <laughs> recently so i did watch princess bride again but that was a fantastic experience uh i was able to pop in the uh, criterion collection uh blu-ray that i got uh that i haven't been able to actually like use yet because i wanted to do it before we started this podcast or we started this particular episode but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have finally gotten through that. Um, some really nice special features, including like uh, cast interviews and stuff that uh, you know were taken like 25 years after the fact. Um, I also watched the Twin Peaks movie um, that came out after the show ended. So I told you last week that the show ends on a cliffhanger. Like it's the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers. It's uh, like the season two finale, and I guess the show is canceled because there's more questions at the end of season two than i have ever experienced in any other show it was the most bizarre feeling of all time um at least (laughs) you know for me and then i i I watched the uh twin peaks movie which is actually a prequel to the original movie oh really yeah so i wouldn't recommend if you're interested at all what i wouldn't recommend watching that first i would i would watch the show first and then go back because it does spoil the mystery in season one of the show. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah, so that's that's where I've been. Yeah, I, I think that's about it for for me. You wanna get us started in our discussion of the Princess Bride? So yeah, let's hop into the discussion of the film. So this is an interesting one. I don't even know where to begin because it's told in such a strange... It's it's a weird movie, you know? Even Right, well, it was a book first. Years. Yeah, it was a book first. I'm, I'm actually curious when the book came out. Princess Bride. Book. I think I looked at it. I think it was 1976 or something like that. Okay, yeah, you're right. 1973. So you're... you're 1973. Yeah, okay. you're three years off. I'm curious if the book goes into the uh you know the fact you know the the movie starts with uh, a young kid played by fred savage who is visited by his uh grandfather who's played by peter falk and the the kid's sick he gets a (laughs) he gets a visit from his grandfather who has a present for him and the present happens to be uh the book the princess bride and the kid is you know he's all into sports he's got comic books in the background he's got like um i I saw an empire strikes back like uh glass behind him so he's he's all he's he's in his you know like heyday of the 80s years and he doesn't want anything to do with this book because you know it's called the princess bride he doesn't like all that mushy stuff um i don't know that the book itself the actual book the princess bride but that was you know written in 73 i don't know that that has those scenes of you know like fred savage as a kid, the grandson and the grandfather i think that that was added into the movie if i'm incorrect in any way please 
uh, reach out to us. Graf, I know you're listening. Uh, let us know if that is correct. But either way, it's a it's a very interesting, it's a fascinating take on you know telling this story because it's a magical story, I guess you could say. It's also it's a magical story in the sense that you know like love true love prevails and stuff although there's not a lot of actual magic going on in the movie right there is some but not a lot man formulating my thoughts on this one is a little difficult i know i i was thinking the same thing when when we like went to go like start it because it is also pretty bizarre it's a, it's a pretty bizarre film all right, so I've realized that formulating my thoughts on this movie is a particular challenge because it's something so outside of uh, both of our wheelhouses that... Um, yeah, it really is. That, you know, I, I don't even know where to begin. So let, let's, I guess, you know, start at the start because, you know, you have uh, Fred Savage, you, you have um, a, a young kid, a grandson who is sick, and his, and his uh, grandfather comes in to read him this story and something that his father read to him, or I think his grandfather read to him, and then he read to his father, or he read to the grandson's father, blah, blah, blah. It was many generations of them reading this novel to one another. And I guess a hard part for me is determining what the actual book is, the 1973 book, because clearly the, the grandfather couldn't have been read, to, read, read this book as a kid if it was in 1973. So they're, you know, they're pushing back the uh, publication of the original book story for the sake of this movie, which is, is cool. It's fine. It's, it's part of the magic of it. And um, it's almost like uh, the book takes on a new life, almost, uh, because it has gone down through the generations as this, uh, you know, coming-of-age story. Or, or it helps the, the kids come into a coming-of-age moment of realizing, realizing that it's a, a fun experience to, I don't know, talk about something that's like almost like a fairy tale. What do you, what do you think about the beginning? It sets it up in a way that, like, you, you see this beginning in so many movies after that, too. Mm. Like, you know, there's a kid sick, and then one of their, you know, the a grandparent or, or, a, or a, a parent reads a story to, to the kid, and, and so on and so forth, and, you know, whatever the story is, it changes with whatever the movie or the show is but i've seen this in so many i've seen this in so much media and i think deadpool 2 kind of did like a spin-off of uh the the, the concept of this movie princess bride oh okay but yeah the, uh the the movie it's very like the beginning it's it's classic you can tell that it that it's classic it just it sets the the whole scene um you know it's a story being read from a book and the the whole entire movie is based on this book it's you know it's visual yeah and it's uh like i like i was saying earlier it takes on a new life because the grandfather has such a reverence for it you know like this is something that you need to experience grandson um so i i do appreciate um i think the grandfather is a pretty cool character you know the the fact that yeah. he t he went out of his way to 
um, you know, spend some time with his grandson, who doesn't actually look that sick, but, you know, he might have had a fever, he might have uh, had a whatever. I, I have no idea what he was actually sick with, but um, it was cool of the grandfather to come and try to cheer him up, give him give him some, like, reason to, you know, <laughs> keep going. Uh, let's see. Man, this one is a hard one to record. I'm not going to lie. I know. Uh, like, well, I, it, how is it so easy for us to talk about Hook? <laughs> right? I think we'll get into uh, it. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah, we will. We will. Yeah, once we get into the, uh, you know, to the to the swing, into the, like, the story, which uh, the story itself actually starts off on Wesley that's played by Carrie Elwes. Elwes. Yeah. And uh, Buttercup, which is portrayed by Robin Wright. And so, I mean, both of them, they they live, you know, in this village. They live in a lowly village. You know, they, they, they have, like, this budding romance from the beginning. You know, they, that you you can tell that, that they care about each other. And then they eventually fall in love. But then Wesley ends up leaving to kind of make a name for himself he wants to you know make money and then come back and, and marry buttercup which is an interesting name for a character because yeah. it sounds more like a like a horse or or a pet or a powerpuff girl <laughs> uh so yeah oh <laughs> uh, yeah again that's the, where they got the, the structure of this is so weird because it's almost making fun of fairy tales it's almost like shrek in a way where like everything's a parody on the fairy tale structure right and i think that that was like a huge part of this film i think the fact that it was making fun of a lot i mean let's be real there's a lot of moments that they were making fun of so much oh sure yeah and, yeah, yeah. and it worked it, it i think that they did a great job on that yeah it, it balanced campiness with uh drama and humor really well right i was i was when I was watching through this film, I was thinking like they did such a good job with of not going overboard on the campiness. Like the the blend was like really good. I I, I was I was paying attention to that and I was I was surprised. I was like, wow, you know, I know that I had seen this recently, but now that I was really paying attention to have uh, points to talk about, that was a big highlight for me. The fact but, that it had a good blend. Yeah, and uh, the, the fact that this is such a strange structure for a movie, I think, um, is the reason why it was so hard to finally produce. Because, uh, you know, going into some of the interviews that uh, I watched after having seen the movie, the director, Rob Rayner, basically said that, like, this movie was shopped around Hollywood for a couple years and nobody wanted to touch it because it was so crazy. Um, and, <laughs> and basically like he went into the, uh, producer's office and she was like, you can, you can do whatever movie you want. He's like, I want to do princess bride. She goes, anything but that. <laughs> and he, anyway, he finally did it. Uh, it was super low budget. It was shot. Um, I think in Ireland, actually, let me double check that. Cause, uh, it's, uh, I can the, see that the locations were beautiful. The locations uh, were beautiful. I absolutely love the practical effects in it. 
Yeah. Okay. So it was it was filmed in a few locations. So uh, Derbyshire, England, Sheffield, England, and County Clare, Ireland. So they did have stuff on like the cliffs of Mower and Ireland and stuff. I'm not sure if that's where they filmed the cliffs of insanity, but but yeah. So we'll we'll get into all of that. The the locations that they filmed in were so so gorgeous, uh, and you know for were like time appropriate. Like it, it felt like you were, you know, in the 1600s, uh, 1500s, and uh, you were experiencing this fairy tale in the appropriate time. So that's that's one of the great stuff about filming in, you know, uh, across the pond, so to speak, is because uh, it's such an old country, because they have such like um, a reverence for keeping their old structures intact and everything. Uh, you can film stuff for like many hundred right. years after the fact so that was pretty cool um all right so let's let's get into the actual story you know once the grandfather starts reading the book to him so you you, you started us off with right that uh that it starts off on wesley and buttercup and that there's a budding romance but yeah, then so they I think leave it's buttercup's i mean uh, but farm, then right? what happened it's buttercup's farm and she's and and uh, West uh, Wesley. He's basically just the the farm boy, right? Right, right. He's like the yeah the farm hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she keeps calling him farm boy in the beginning, and I thought that was like a really weird thing for you know someone who clearly is into this kid. Um, but I guess it's kind of natural, you know, thinking about like when you're a kid and you got a crush on someone, you kind of like poke them almost, and that's what she was kind of doing, I guess right right that that was clearly what was happening in that moment <laughs> and i liked how like blunt it was like whenever he said as you wish he was really saying i love you <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a funny thing so like even like the, the the fact that that was written down somewhere for someone to read is hilarious um because it's 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 ridiculous but it, it all it, it was said with such like seriousness in the moment that all right i believe it and <laughs> you know eventually she goes uh can you pass me that jug and like the camera pans and it's like right above her head <laughs> <laughs> and he goes as you wish and you know they finally realize they they love each other and uh you mentioned he goes away uh on a voyage to you know make some money for himself so that he can start a family with uh buttercup and right and yeah so um he doesn't come back and then wesley he doesn't return and the reasoning behind that is because it it was said that he he that he was killed by the dread pirate roberts yeah which is something that um we find out later is not like an actual pirate's name like it was at some point but the legend of the dread it's a persona pirate, yeah it's almost like uh, a superhero mantle that's just passed down right, from right. like master to apprentice i guess um and you know it's just wesley's turn to be the dread pirate roberts and um from what it sounds like people don't like hold that title for more than a couple of years uh, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but yeah. Well, it does sound like a lucrative deal because they all retire and they're like all rich. Right. They retire after a couple of years. And so I <laughs> they guess... They have like all this money. I guess so, that was Wesley's so, yeah. plan, right? I guess that was his plan. Yeah, I guess so. Like he was like, man, I'm going to become the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah. All but right, yeah, so, so like before yeah. all that, 
after that moment where she realizes that he's not coming back she like yeah go it fast forwards uh you said five years mm-hmm. and so she gets like picked by prince humperdink yeah yeah so she gets picked by the prince humperdink to uh become his wife and so she i mean she's a farm girl so she's like a commoner a, a, like a peasant and so this is where the princess bride like comes from right like the actual title of the movie princess bride is is based on the fact that she was chosen to right. be the literal princess bride so i mean directly after that it it, it the the actual marriage marriage isn't for another month so she goes and she heads back to her like farmstead i guess but on the way there she's captured by a, a group of bandits a, a motley crew of bandits uh, Wallace Shawn is playing Vicini, uh, Andre the Giant is playing Fezzik, and uh, Mandy Matinkin is playing Inigo Montoya, the Spaniard. So, uh, honestly, the best band of bandits probably ever put to screen. Uh, I'll, I'll say, yes. you know? Yes, yes, they really are. I, I love the moment where they're on the ship and Inigo is like, are you sure nobody followed us? Because I looked behind us and there's somebody there. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Before that, before that, uh, you know, he's he's like, you sure, you sure nobody's following us? And the guy's like, no, it'd be inconceivable. And oh, and yeah, then he goes, yeah. why? Why'd you ask? He's just like, well, I I see someone, <laughs> I see someone behind us, and uh, you know that just sets them off on this crazy wacky like chase that lasts uh, up until the morning when they get I to know. The, right, uh, and it was that the princess almost gets eaten by this like eel because she like jumps out of the ship. Yeah, she sees she sees potential help, and she jumps into the water. And oh my gosh i love that moment like where she gets saved all you see is like andre is giant he like punches the eel and like lifts her out of the water <laughs> it's so <laughs> the the visuals in this are so good and the, the gags are just like timed so perfectly like the the idea of this giant guy just like punching a eel on the head and just like snatching know, her in one go dude like yeah for real no but it, it, it it's funny because yeah they they're chased the entire night through through into the morning. They climb up the cliffs of, of insanity. Oh, and wait, wait, wait. My, one of my favorite lines was on the boat. Um, wait, wait. When, oh, yeah, tell us. Yeah, when, when they're... Well, there's a lot of great lines on the boat, first of all. Like, the, the whole, yes, like, there is. Andre the Giant rhyming random things and Fezzik <laughs> getting mad at him. Dude, that was hilarious. There's also the scene where <laughs> Indigo Montoya, he he sees that the, the the boat behind them is catching up, and he goes, I wonder if they're using the same wind that we are. <laughs> <laughs> like, what other wind is there? <laughs> that so, was great. Oh, there's so many good little lines. Oh, man. There really is. But yeah, the, the the moment that they're climbing up the cliff, it's funny because they're all clinged on to Fezzik. He's climbing up the rope, and uh, Wes Wesley, you don't we don't know that it's him at that moment, but he's like gaining on them, climbing up the rope, and Vizzini 
like pretty much like why are you not moving faster he's like well for one i'm carrying three people and he's it's only just him it's also such a funny thing like watching um andre the giant carry like a bunch of people on his shoulder uh, on on his side and the fact that they had like a a built-in harness for everyone was hilarious like i was just like wait where did they get a harness for three people to like latch onto a a giant (laughs) like they had to be like custom built for this one job um but anyway that was that was pretty good and the fact that they were climbing so fast dude they were they were scaling that mountain (laughs) they were they were scaling and they weren't using their legs or anything they were just but you uh it's kind of ruined by like hd uh like like blu-ray stuff so like i think on disney plus too you'd probably notice it but like if you looked closely enough you could see like the actual string pulling them and then like they're just trying they're scaling the rope along with the string that's pulling everyone but uh (laughs) it's still funny you know they're flying up oh my gosh yeah no it's hilarious it's funny though like when they finally do get up there uh (laughs) They cut the rope, and so Wesley gets like stuck on the cliff, and they make a plan for the rest of them to move forward and for Inigo to stay behind to to fight Wesley. And it's so funny because Wesley's like clinging to the side of the cliff, and Inigo is like, "Can you like hurry up?" He's getting like jittery to start fighting, but he and he's like exciting himself. He's just like, anyway, you can hurry up. <laughs> I know, and he's like, I'm gonna use my left hand. Like, uh, like he's telling uh, Vizzini that he's gonna use his left hand. Yeah. He's like, it wouldn't be fair. The fight would be so, uh, the fight would be over quick if I use my right hand. It's so funny. And then yeah, when they, once they start fighting, the fight's hilarious too. You know, like it, it's good. It's a good blend of action, like you know, fencing and humor. It's funny because like Wesley starts winning, and he's like, "Oh, oh. they're like complimenting each other as they're fighting at the same time." They're like, "Oh, wow, you're so good." <laughs> yeah. And then, and and he goes like, "He's like, man, you're like you're beating me." And Wesley's like, "Why? Then why are you smiling?" He says, "Because I have a secret." I don't fight with my left hand. I fight with my right. And then they're like fighting, and then and then uh, and then and then uh, and he goes like winning. And then Wesley's like, "I also have a secret. I'm also not left-handed." And then I'm like, "Oh my gosh, dude! It, oh my goodness, it's, it's so funny." And then like they have like that gymnastics moment where like they grab onto that thing and like. Because uh, Wesley knocks um, Indigo's sword out of his hand. And so, like, he swings on the thing. So, yeah, he throws his sword down, like, near Inigo. And then does he grabs onto, like, that bar that happened to be there. Perfect. It was perfectly there. He does this, like, gymnastics move. And and Inigo's like, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of, like, reverence on both sides. But uh, Inigo is genuinely fascinated by his uh swordsmanship and it's, right. it's it's a really cool scene for a number of reasons um the actual fight was really well choreographed they found a way yeah, to make a really um entertaining fight that um you know at the time was the longest sword fight in film history 
They oh, had, was it really? Yeah, they, they looked up which was the longest sword fight. And then they decided to like uh, time it and then make theirs just a little bit longer. So technically, at that point in time, um, this was the longest sword fight uh, in film history. I think now uh, you can kind of make the argument that um, the Anakin and Obi-Wan fight, which is like 12 minutes, uh, if you like cut it all, cut all the individual pieces together. Is the longest one. Oh, film. right. It, but it, it didn't feel like it was overboard. Like, no. it, it felt like you were engaged into it. Like, you, you actually enjoyed every minute of that fight. And it was, like, perfectly timed with, like, the quips. It was perfectly timed with, like, the dialogue. And you right. got a lot of... First of all, it's, it's a good fight. They were well choreographed. They trained. Um, I don't know if it was them doing all the flips and everything like that. I don't think it was. But... Yeah, I doubt it. But it, it still looked and felt like those two characters were, you know, doing everything that they were that they set out to do. And um, the the set too was crazy. Like they had a crazy, awesome set where they they had this like, whole thing planned where they go up and down and jump over this and that. And dude, it was awesome. It's it's just a, that, yeah, the, a well exactly. Scene. The sets, the practical effects, everything, dude, like fantastic. And, and the jokes uh, just, you know, it keeps you engaged. You know, you're on the edge of your seat, but you're also laughing, you know, and... Right, and the thing is, is that this movie, it's a movie from the 80s, but, like, I felt like it's aged so well. Yeah, because you could see some of that stuff in stuff today. It's interesting, like, the movie is 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 part... It's like a half, half of it, it's an, it's an 80s movie. You know, it's a very 80s movie in the sense that, like, you have, like, Fred Savage as a kid um, being read this story. And that part is 100% 80s. Yeah, But the actual 80s. fairy tale of it, um, the story, is kind of timeless. You know, right. it, it could be much older than the 80s. It could be much uh, younger than the 80s. So it was, it's a weird mix of a movie. But, you know, it's, it's, it's classic because of it. Um, it's interesting, actually. This movie didn't do well in theaters. Like, it actually kind of bombed. Uh, but when they, you know, started counting the numbers of actual, like, DVD... Or not DVD sales, obviously. Uh, VHS sales. They, like, the home video sales, they were actually, like, mighty surprised that it kind of became, like, a cult classic. And, you know, it's one of the most beloved films ever at this point. Yeah, so Wesley wins, but he doesn't kill Inigo. He just, he knocks him out in the back of his head. Mm -hmm. Pretty much, like, says that he, like, respects him before he leaves. Yeah, there's a mutual um, respect there. Inigo is genuinely fascinated by his swordsman uh, skills, and he's fascinated by the fact that he doesn't want to kill Wesley, you know? That Inigo doesn't want to kill Wesley. So there's like a, a mutual respect for each other, and that's pretty cool. So neither of them are planning on killing each other at a certain point. Uh, in that fight, we actually, or just before the fight, we we learn uh, that Inigo is looking for a, a man with uh, six fingers on his right hand. Um, yeah. And that that comes because he to killed play his later. father. Yeah. So, uh, and there's there's a whole backstory of like you know his father like making a sword for this six six fingered man. The man cheaped him out and didn't want to pay the full price and killed his father. So he's on a quest for revenge, but also a uh, part-time bandit working for Vicini. Uh, Wesley wins, and he's off. He's off onto the next fight, which is <laughs> with uh, Fezzik, Andre the Giant. 
I, lo <laughs> I love because he like comes up to this he's like running in, in these hills and then all of a sudden this like boulder comes out of nowhere there's like huge rock and uh Fezzik's like I, he said I did that on purpose <laughs> yeah he's like toying with him it's like toying with his food basically right right he's like yeah I missed on purpose <laughs> and then pretty much like propositions for them to like fight hand to hand and that was so funny because Wesley's like trying to grapple him yeah. and he's just looking down at him this like <laughs> and and uh and what, what was it like Wesley says something along the lines of like you know oh you're just gonna stand there and he's and, and Fezzik's like, well, well, I wanted I wanted you to to feel like you were doing something. <laughs> and what's great is that Andre the Giant is like an actual wrestler, so the fact that they're just grappling on like this hillside is actually hilarious. Um, I I loved it. Uh, I, I do. Yeah, like, I did. I, I like the the line from Andre. You know, he's just, he's like, I don't even exercise. Just because you know, yeah, oh yeah, just he like out like, of nowhere. Yeah, because um, because Wesley like mentions his size and how like there's obviously there's obviously an advantage on his side on Fezzik's side. Yeah, no, that 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 fight was that fight was funny. It was it it wasn't super long because I would say Wesley kind of like outwitted him and chokes him out until he like he passes out yeah and what's interesting they they use their screen time in this movie so interestingly where even in the fight scenes that could be like that that frankly are action-packed they use that time to give a lot of character information they give a lot of time or they they also right. like they double up and give you like a lot of exposition as to like what happens next in the story or what needs to happen or gives you clues as to characters and stuff so it's it's a really just a it's well written it's just a a really well written well directed movie and you know the, every scene or at least most mostly every scene like actually <laughs> just like furthers that idea that it's just so well directed and so well written uh, so so yeah, he basically like strangles him with a chokehold, uh, just enough to give him a, a bad headache when he finally wakes up. Right, right. So he just until he passes out. Yeah, he doesn't go crazy. And uh, which I, I I like that they made like the main character not somebody who is just like offing these people when he could have. Right. Yeah. I mean, and. Perhaps perhaps we would think of Wesley a little bit differently, but the fact that he doesn't do that, the fact that he has um, some respect for life shows right. a lot of character, first of all. But it's also the... He's, he's literally like the antithesis of the villain who has no respect for life. He's planning to kill the princess anyway. He's planning to kill Wesley uh, despite his word to the princess and so on and so forth. Right. I think that uh, the moment where between Wesley and uh, Vizzini, it's a funny moment where it's not an actual physical battle. It's a battle of wits. Yeah. Where Wesley puts poison in one of these goblets of wine and Vizzini has to figure out which one is not poisoned. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because like he's going through like this whole thing of you know 
maybe you poison this one because you wanted me to think that you poisoned that one but it but really this is the safe one and that's a, the poison one unless you wanted me to think that and then yeah, oh my <laughs> gosh it's funny because he's like going over this like this it's, whole tangent on why he you know he's trying to like reason um you know he's going through, through his like whole thought logic and it's funny because what was it he's like hey what is that over there and then like wesley's like <laughs> I, I think wesley does that on purpose yeah he absolutely like, realizes that like this guy is all tricks so um, you're right right he's uh, like oh wait what and he like turned around and then <laughs> vitini like switches the cups and that scene is so so great because uh, you're you're watching this uh you know supposedly very smart person go through these crazy mental gymnastics he knows all about like the type of poison he knows where it's from he knows uh and he's he's kind of uh stalling to try to get a read on like if if uh wesley has any idea or wesley is going to give away which cup has it basically right which wesley picks up on and he's like he says i know you're trying to get or like something along the lines of that he like realizes that he's trying to get information out of him and he's like it's not gonna work yeah yeah and you know eventually they they both uh drink after vicini switches the the goblets around and (laughs) one of the best lines you've fallen for one of the classic blunders and you know then he actually dies um so this is the one time that um he does wesley does technically kill someone but it was by it was an agreed upon death on both parties part so it was like they both agreed that these were the stakes he wasn't malicious in his um you know offing of vicini but he knew that the only way that vicini would be out of the picture entirely uh, for the remainder of the movie, is if he, you know, offs this guy. And Vicini is actually like a bad person. You know, he's he's actually the mastermind of like capturing uh, the princess. And um, right, you know, Fezic and Inigo Montoya are just lackeys at the end of the day. They don't have bad bones in their body, um, and they're just doing what this Vicini guy is telling them to do. So I right, and you you can pick that up pretty early on when you meet them. Like you're like, these guys aren't bad guys. They're just kind of wrapped up into this for work, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's a job, I, and it's interesting. Like uh, Vicini's talking down to them, and that's actually a fun scene on the 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 pirate ship that they're on. Um, oh yeah, that that ship, which is funny because literally both of them could kill him yeah yeah no both of them one could of them, easily kill one of them just needs to like smash his head in one time and the other one is uh like an expert could skewer him. yeah so yeah. the the fact that he has like the he, he's so high and mighty because he's such a intelligent person um and that's gotten to his head you know absolute power corrupts absolutely in in this instance which is funny it's making fun of those type of people. That moment right there is making fun of those types of people. Yeah, yeah, probably. yeah, definitely. And at the end of the day, he's the one who actually loses his life. But anyway, so at, at this point, this thing is dead, and we are taken to the well. Um, Wesley saves Buttercup because this whole time they've been. 
pulling Buttercup along with them. That's you're right. You're right. You're right. So uh, at this point in the story, she doesn't know who Wesley really is. She thinks he's the the Dread Pirate Roberts. Um, right, and he's toying with her. It's funny. Yes. Yeah, and it's almost like a. It's an interesting. It's an interesting scene. It's almost. It's it's like he's kind of punishing her for like giving up on true love, or he's he's trying he's he's like kind of like scolding her in a way for giving up on true love by like you know like pushing her buttons in in like kind of like how she was doing in the beginning of the movie. But he knew uh, perhaps he was a little bit hurt that she gave up on him. I guess right. So in that moment, it's a little bit like the story of joseph and his brothers you know when they they sell him to egypt and later on after he becomes uh you know second in all the land uh his brothers are coming to try to trade with the egyptians and um they don't recognize joseph so (laughs) he he basically like you know (laughs) plays with them a little bit like how (laughs) he, he he tries to see um, if they've changed it all and everything, so it's kind of it kind of has that parallel where like uh, like Joseph was uh, testing his uh, brothers or like you know subtly punishing them. Carrie Ellis's uh, Wesley is kind of testing and semi punishing uh, Buttercup for giving up on true love, giving up on him for this prince. You know, she said yes to this prince. I, I'm assuming it's it's it was agreed upon thing. Right. And then and then she pushes him downhill. <laughs> oh my goodness. What was the line that she says because she pushes him down the hill and then he says as you wish as he's rolling down this hill and then she realizes who who he is. Yeah, she's like And then oh, she my sweet like Wesley. starts rolling down then she starts rolling down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this movie's so funny. It- that that scene is so good um and it's it's so it's hard to watch this and not have a good time you know because oh, yeah, this, there it, it balances like 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 we said it balances humor it balances happiness but it also balances really good writing and really great like scenes and sets um and locations so they they found this fantastic hill to die on and they roll down it for like <laughs> 30 seconds because it's Which such a massive the surrounding hill. area was beautiful i know i know yeah and it's it, I, I love after he's like falling down he goes as you wish and she goes oh my sweet wesley and then she starts rolling down too it's so good man uh I, i'm like you you guys can probably hear it but like i'm just like all smiles right now because it's just it's a feel-good movie, but it's it's also funny and, you know, I, I only have praise for it, so. It, it really is. Oh, so something that we didn't mention is in all of these, uh, in this whole time, Prince Humperdinck is tracking Princess Buttercup. Mm-hmm. And he shows up to the scene of each one of these battles that Wesley had with the, the three the bandits. And... He, he pretty much like says word for word like what happened in this like fight yeah he's like, like as if he was there <laughs> right he's like he, he's like looking at the tracks and he knows like 
that he's like, oh, uh, Princess Buttercup is over here because the loser of this fight went over there. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, don't worry about it. But it, when they show up, both uh, Fezzik and Inigo in are like they're gone. They're, I, they're... I wonder actually if that is a a parody of Lord of the Rings. I forget if in the Lord of the Rings novel if in the the trilogy there is a line where aragorn says a hobbit lay here because there is the line in the princess bride where it says a giant lay here or something along those lines (laughs) so it's kind of the opposite of that (laughs) i i don't know if i'm making that parallel and it's it's like unfounded but yeah anyway i i forget what was in the actual lord of the rings novel but i know that that's, Um, that's in the movie right right so wesley and buttercup they're together now and she knows that they're being chased by uh, prince humperdinck you know that he's going after uh princess buttercup and so they go through the fire swamp yeah which is such a crazy scene uh crazy couple scenes actually um the the set is crazy it's almost like dagobah in empire strikes back without like uh, it's actually less swampy than Dagobah and a little more arboreal, I guess you could say. Uh, a lot more fiery. That was actually the first day on set that um, uh, Robin Wright was on set, that they put her on fire, basically. And that, you know, the, the one scene where she, like, gets lit up? That was her first day on set of The Princess Bride. And uh, apparently she got burned and stuff in, in like, real life because of that but you know it makes for a great scene uh and wesley is you know stone stone face and he puts it out and um the rest of that scene where they're going through the swamp and he's just like uh he can tell like when the fire is gonna come and he just like twirls her around but it's like casual and and it's like perfect timing it's it's again perfect comedy it's you know you can understand that it's a joke you know you can understand that it's um overly heroic to the point where it's actually funny uh but still enjoy it as like a cool thing that wesley's doing you know it works on multiple levels and that's that's kind of like where i i what i gather for most of the movies that it just it works on so many different levels so anyway, they make it through the swamp, then they then they fall into a pit of sand, or no, uh, Buttercup falls into quicksand. And yeah, and that thing was crazy because it was like a it was like a pit, pretty much. Yeah, I wonder how they made that effect. Actually, I, I, I'm actually very curious about how they were able to accomplish that effect because it didn't look like uh, obviously it was a hole that there must have been some sort of like net or something. But it, and it must have like reclosed after she fell. Like it must. I don't know. I I can't explain it. But uh, I was just. I was trying. To, I was trying to pick, piece together how they made that effect while they were doing it. But anyway, Wesley cuts a vine, dives into it, and after a couple seconds, like pulls them free, and they're all covered in sand, and <laughs> they don't look like they're having a great time. Um, Oh no. I I hate being covered in sand, bro. I'm like Anakin when it comes to that. I hate the sand. <laughs> <laughs> it gets every it's coarse and it gets everywhere. 
And then Wesley gets into this fight with this like swamp rat thing that was creepy because it was it was creepy because it was obviously a person in this like costume. So it looks freaky. Yeah. It's I remember actually this is the scene that I specifically remember being in elementary school watching because that scene scared the crap out of me when I was in school back back then. Um, looking at it now, it's it's hilarious that I felt that way. You know, even to this day, I haven't seen Jim Carrey's The Mask because as a kid, that scared the crap out of me. Um, oh, did it really? Oh, yeah, wow. it was it was something that just like freaked me out as a kid. Um, I was probably a toddler at the time, but I still haven't watched it for whatever reason, just because I have that feeling towards the film. But yeah, so this this is one of those scenes that I remember being very scary as a, as a kid. And now I'm like, you know, you, you become so desensitized to certain things, um, you know, after a lifetime of watching movies. And this was just so funny. But it's also, you know, it's again, it's a fun fight scene to watch. What do you mean? Oh, I, the, the line I love just before it. Um, the third, the third thread of the fire swamp was the R R O U S, and he goes R O U S, and she goes rodents of unusual size, <laughs> 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 and then he gets attacked. <laughs> oh, it's so good, man. That was funny. So yeah, they end up leaving the fire swamp, and uh, that's where they get uh, caught by Prince Humperdinck, and then this is where like the movie kind of like shifts. Yeah, it's almost like a. Although I think the first half is a little bit longer than the second half. Um, this is where the movie like kind of like cuts into two. the The first half is them trying to find, or you know, Wesley trying to re recap recapture the the princess or Buttercup, so that he can come back to his you know one true love. And the second half of the film is um, again trying to recapture the princess uh, because. Prince Humperdinck has gone back on his word. So this whole scene, uh, they realize that they're outnumbered. And Buttercup basically says, if if you let us go, if you let Wesley live, we'll, I, I will marry you, basically. And, you know, he gives, the, the prince gives her her word. The prince gives her his word. And they... <laughs> they 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 renege on that deal they they go back on it and he wesley ends up being uh put into this uh the pit or what do they call it the the something pit the pit of despair the pit of despair yeah and they torture him oh my gosh that um what was his name that like really pale guy i think in the credits they called him the albino i'm gonna look it up really quick yeah the albino you're right so yeah it's funny because he's like he's like welcome to the pit <laughs> and he like starts clearing his throat he's like and and then he just starts talking like normally it's so funny <laughs> yeah stuff like that reminds me of um actually that that whole scene reminds me of young frankenstein the mel brooks movie yeah, I was uh, going to say, it's a making fun... It's kind of making fun of Igor a little bit there. That's definitely an Igor-type character. Yeah, you're right, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, no, it's funny. But it's crazy, though, that like the machine that they put Wesley in is a suction machine that they use to like take away years of somebody's life. Yeah, I was confused about that because... They were li- really... It was just like... 
suction cupping the person's face. They're just suctioning the person's face and body. I I, I didn't I didn't really understand the 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 actual torture of it. So I guess yeah, you're you're supposed to understand that they're getting or he's getting his life sucked out of him like years of his life so he lost supposedly a year of his life but then the um the villain humperdink you know later on in the movie puts it all the way up to 50 does he lose 50 years of his life or that's just you know a lot of pain i i guess i was a little bit confused about that and they didn't really explain it i don't i don't think it's like again i don't think i'm sure if you like pulled on the thread of everything in this movie like like if you pull in anything too uh too much you'll notice a plot hole here or there like i you know if you think about how exactly did wesley know that those were the pirates that took princess buttercup earlier right in the film? Like, like they didn't explain it like they didn't show that he was like nearby or that he was following them exactly um, yeah so there's a lot of things that that are like that in this movie where you, you can probably like pull the thread and realize oh there's a plot hole or this wasn't explained properly or whatever but you know i don't think it because it's told like a fairy tale it gets away with a lot of those little details that one might expect from a more serious movie right oh so so yeah in in this moment uh prince humperdinck has this plot going that uh he's going to marry the princess and He's going to murder Princess Buttercup and blame it on another country. I don't remember what they were called. Yeah, I think they were fictional countries. Right. And uh, and so, yeah, and then there's like another like side story where where uh, Fezzik finds uh, Inigo and Inigo is just like really drunk. And uh, he like nurses him back to like, you know, sobriety. It's funny because like he's like feeding him food and then and he goes his like face just like plops down like into the bowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh you know it's it's funny it's interesting and like the the whole like meaning of this is that um I think that they located the man with the six fingers and yes. that's where they realize that they need Wesley to be able to pull off you know taking him out. Because he was in the castle behind all this armed guard. And they go on a mission to find Wesley. Did, were they able to track him because they could hear him screaming? Remember like when they Prince Humperdinck put the thing up to 50? Like everybody could hear Wesley screaming? Yeah, I think that was part of it. I think that was part of why they were able to capture or like, you know, catch up to where he was. But it was through the power of... Um, his father's sword to point him in the oh, right that's direction. Right. That's right. And then he goes to like a tree and like the sword like points him to the tree and he's just like Ugh. and like leans up against a tree and it just happens to open. And it's like, oh okay. And earlier in the movie they were like they were the the actual villains who knew where like this tree was, they were saying like, Oh, I can never find this knot. Uh, so the fact that he was able to just like happen <laughs> upon the knot is pretty funny. Yeah, I love that. That was good. Uh, so they they end up getting him out, uh, Wesley, and Wesley is one hundred percent like paralyzed. Dead. Yeah. Well, he's oh, yeah. yeah, yeah you're he right, was you're like right. dead. Yeah, they he call was, him dead. He was uh, 
for all intents and purposes, dead. So they, they bring him to uh, Billy Crystal's house. What was Billy Crystal's name in the movie? Um, <laughs> Miracle Max. Actually, you know what? This is this is a scene I don't like. I didn't care for the Miracle Max scene. I don't. I I thought that like in uh you know in Spaceballs, my my least favorite scene was um the when they they visit yogurt. I don't know if you've ever seen Spaceballs, but yes, of course. Yeah, um, where, where they visit yogurt, and he's. He's like a very Jewish Yoda, basically. And yeah, like a the... Jewish stereotype of Yoda. Yeah, and I felt like this was also very stereotypy, and I didn't particularly care for that. But I, I don't think that that's like a funny thing in general. Like even if it wasn't stereotype, uh, it was just like it didn't really fit the movie. Like it just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, the Miracle Max and his wife were just so like kooky and random, and it was almost like they were friends of the director or something and they they needed to like he needed to write them in somehow but obviously they worked it into the point where uh obviously they worked it, it takes into you the, out a little bit yeah right am i am i right am i wrong in saying that no it, it that moment that scene does kind of take you out of it a little bit it kind of makes you a little disinterested in what's going on but after that moment passes it kind of you you get back right back into the movie and so you you feel engaged again yeah it it was a boring scene and it wasn't funny it was trying to be very funny but it it didn't land at least not for me uh i don't know about you guys listening or whatever for for whatever reason that that scene didn't do anything for me for us uh because you you don't seem to have liked it that much either so yeah um wesley gets revived he so they give him what this like pill right i don't even remember again it like takes you that that scene takes it you takes out you out it. right they give they give uh an ego and fezzik something to give to give wesley after that moment and at, at first like nothing oh, happens you're right. but then no, like no, wesley no, it is, gets like revived a, it's like a ball of some something that he has to chew or whatever and it's like it is like a, a magical supplement or herb or whatever that like will eventually bring him back to you know working capacity. But at, at this point in the story, he's like totally paralyzed from the head down. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, he can't even hold his head up. He's just like. Which it's funny. I because thought that was a pretty funny scene too. Like those those that, moments where the, like and Andre the Giant has to like hold his head and his hands just massive. Uh, oh my gosh, dude! His hand was huge. Yeah, yeah. The, those moments were funny. Like he he was holding up Wesley's head while they're like coming up with this plan, and it's funny because Inigo finds uh, the man with the six fingers, and I, I forgot it, what his name was. His actual name, just call him the man with the six fingers. Count Rugen. Oh, okay, Count Rugen. So Inigo's like chasing him down, and he locks himself in a room and Inigo's like, I need help. And, and, and Fezzik just like, uh, drapes Wesley over, uh, over this like <laughs> armor. Yeah. This like suit of armor. And it's fun. Like, dude, he comes in and just like kicks that door down. He punches it actually. He punches. Oh it. yeah, he punch. Yeah, he punches that door down. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, I know that it's for movie purposes, but I could actually see him doing that 
very easily in real like in an actual moment because it did look pretty destructive like the actual hinges looked like they kind of like popped a little bit i don't i have to like rewatch it but it did look a little bit like he destroyed the the, the prop and you know a, a, earlier it was clearly uh an ego you know jumping onto the door maybe maybe they had someone behind the door like keeping it uh from moving at the time and then they moved when um andre the giant like came and punched it but still like it was it, very convincing it was very convincing yeah it was a really cool uh scene fezzik goes back to get wesley and wesley's gone wesley finds uh princess buttercup so like you know they get re- reunited and uh prince humperdinck shows up and in the also in the same moment uh, fezzik i'm um, not fezzik uh inigo catches up with uh count rugen and you know they start fighting this moment in the film <laughs> was like the bloodiest out of the entire film mm-hmm. because like they start like stabbing each other and then like cutting each other and there's even like a moment where where uh inigo like cuts him exactly where he gets where he was cut yeah um on, on the cheeks yeah and they like stab each other i'm like oh my gosh this is crazy yeah they match um, each other blow for blow like i think in early literally in the fight, early in the fight he throws a knife into uh inigo's stomach and yeah that, that incapacitates him for a little bit and then when he gets up i think he stabs him in both arms if i'm correct yeah um which he then turns the tide on uh rugen and stabs him in the arms and then finally through the stomach my favorite part of that scene is actually before that scene when they're in the hallway and uh rugen finally like sees inigo's actual like uh, swordsmanship and he goes my name my name is inigo montoya you killed my father and prepare to die and you know he says that classic line and he just runs off like he runs away (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like he's been planning for this moment his entire life to be like this epic sword fight and it does end up being an epic sword fight but in that moment it's almost like anticlimactic like nope not doing this (laughs) we have uh princess buttercup going back to her chambers and she uh finds wesley in her bed and that's partly because he can't walk or move or anything he's like he looks like he's like you know trying to be like all like nonchalant but he really can't move (laughs) there's so many like what's it called like prepositional irony like you as the audience know more than the people around uh you you know more as the audience than the characters in the story know which is really fun uh especially for something like this yeah it's funny because princess buttercup starts kissing wesley and she's like oh are you not going to hold me and he's essentially like i can't move (laughs) (laughs) um but anyway so the the prince comes into the room and wesley manages to get up at least muster enough strength up to you know make a front basically and he gives up immediately the prince and then wesley kind of collapses and it's just like it was it was a it was <laughs> basically a bluff and the prince is like ha i knew it was the bluff um but anyway he still he fell for it either way so they let him live and um this allows 
them to escape and he kind of pursues them but doesn't catch up right yeah they escape on these four white horses that Fezzik gets Mm -hmm. and apparently because Andre the Giant was like 500 pounds or 400 pounds something like that there was no horse that could carry him so he was like on the horse like halfway but he was also like harnessed up like and they were holding him on strings so uh there was there was one point in the filming where uh the director comes into the room and he had been drinking all day and he's just like a half drunk uh giant like hanging from cables and he goes hello boss (laughs) 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 and that's uh picturing it is hilarious um so anyway long story short love wins true love wins and they go back to the farm to live happily ever after and you know sprinkled throughout the movie there's little bits of the uh you know the 80s setting where they're in the bedroom and they're talking about you know going on and oh should we keep reading or oh skip the lovey-dovey parts or you know oh, skip ahead blah 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 i don't think there's anything like in the movie that like i felt was like skipped or anything but it was the pacing was was great for most of the movie and the those little right. those little clips from like the bedroom actually really help the pacing they do yeah i'm glad I, i'm glad that you actually mentioned that because i was thinking about that i was like oh yeah i was gonna mention that mm-hmm. but you did so that's good it ends with a kiss and like throughout the the movie the grandson had been pretty resistant over the love stuff and the grandfather he like cuts it off there at the and the end and i i love how how he does it he's just like like the grandson's like oh so what happened and the grandfather's just like ah it's just kissing yeah you don't like that you know? <laughs> he's like oh well you know i i like it sometimes yeah and it's so it's it's, it's a very like natural thing for uh, like a kid to warm up to something warm up to something like that and you know like it, uh, I don't remember if I was ever like grossed out by like kissing scenes, but I think because Hollywood always and like you know uh, cartoons and stuff were always like ah kissing blah blah blah. This scene was always like pretty funny to me, or it, like it, it makes sense to me, I guess. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's almost like uh, in Empire Strikes Back, um, the the final kiss with Han and Leia right before he gets frozen in carbonite it's earned you as the audience and like especially kids watching whether they were grossed out by kisses or not that scene was earned because those two characters grew together to and the 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 action and the story was enough to engross the audience enough to make that like uh, a climactic moment so in princess bride that's a very climactic moment the whole story is leading up to the fact that uh, wesley and buttercup finally get back together and yes. It's a happily ever after. It is. Anthony, what do you think of this movie? Be honest. Don't lie to these poor people. It's the worst film I've ever seen. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. No, I enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoy it. I think that it has great charm to it. We talked about how great it is with balancing the humor and the drama and the action. And the characters are very either likable or deplorable like they did really well in setting that 
you know, setting those characters apart, like, oh, I can't stand this guy, or, oh, hey, I like the, this this guy. Mm-hmm. And they did that, like, from the very beginning with uh, Fezzik and Inigo. What about you? What, how, do, how do you feel about this film, now that you've seen it for the first time in forever? I was really pleased with it. You know, I, I was... I'm happy that we decided to cover this on this show because it's one of those movies that I could easily have seen myself not watching again for another 10 years, you know, if, without like prompting myself. Um, right. And that's, that's something that I really appreciate about this podcast is that we're able to go back to stuff that maybe I wouldn't normally go and watch because sometimes, you know, you get caught up in lord of the rings and star wars and mcu stuff and like whatever is popular at the time so it's really a good opportunity for us to go back and either catch up on stuff that we missed or recap stuff that we love or remember from our youth and this is one of those experiences where this movie is unique in that i don't think i would have watched it as readily had it not been for the podcast and so I'm, I'm happy that this is going on because i loved it you know i, I really do love it it's what I, I told jen i think this is going to be one of my new favorites just to like put on as a feel-good movie just because it's great you know there's it, yeah, it has everything good, it's good it's a it's a classic it's it's a good go-to movie there's um, very very few parts that i didn't like you know yeah yeah i would say like yeah, the, my biggest gripe is the one that we talked about. Yeah, the the Billy Crystal Magic show. Max. Yeah, Magic um, Magic Max. <laughs> so, with that being said, uh, what what is your favorite favorite character? I mean, there's a lot of likable characters, but what is your favorite? Actually, that's a good question. Um, we should actually do that in like our our future podcast, just because it's like a it's a good way to recap something so i i love a lot i love a lot of the characters um same even the the villains were like just villainous enough uh, but i think i'm gonna have to go with inigo montoya being my favorite character his character was like one track minded you know all he wanted was to kill the the man with the, the six fingers on his right hand and afterwards he he had no idea what to do with himself because that was his one <laughs> goal in life so um, right wesley was like how, how would you like to be the dread pirate uh roberts <laughs> um <laughs> and so that was I, I think he's my favorite character just because he's not really a hero per se you know he he's he's like an anti-hero he's doing his own thing he's uh right he has his own motivations, but at the end of the day, he sides with the good guys. And he's not a bad guy either. He's just, he's, he's, he's almost like lost, you know? He's, he's lost and he's looking for purpose. And his purpose is, like ends when he finally kills the Six-Fingered Man. And I don't know, I find him just a fascinating character. What about you? Yeah, for me, that, that's hard because I also like... Inigo Montoya, but I also like Fezzik because yeah. Andre Andre the Giant has some like hilarious moments, <laughs> and I don't think that that movie would be the same if he weren't there. You know? Yeah, it's it's a weird thing because you can't really. Um, it, it's hard to picture. I, I'm sure Andre the Giant was in other movies, but I don't. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But like the idea of this actor being so perfect for a role 
Like, there's nobody that could have done that role except for Andre the Giant, you know? Right. I, I, I like Fezzik too. I think, actually, a lot of times it was hard for me to understand him because his voice is so deep, you know? There were some lines right, I was like... Right, and he has, mm. like, that accent. Yeah, but, yeah, he's a great character too. All right, so is, is Fezzik your, your favorite, you think? It's hard because, like, maybe, maybe Fezzik, because he's got that, like... I mean, he, he's got that whole, I could crush you, but he's also like a gentle giant at the same time. Yeah, he's like a it's Lenny funny. from uh, Of Mice and Men. So, I would say probably, yeah, him with Inigo being like, almost like right there. Depending on the day, it might be Inigo above Fezzik type deal. Like, they might interchange. Mm. Okay, I like that. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty good ranking. I think... At the end of the day, I find that Inigo's lines were just a little more, like, just a little bit... I, I think the actor nailed the lines, you know? I think that he was able to take what the script gave him and make it, like, a natural thing. Like, you think you can hurry up down there? Or, you know... Uh, yeah, when he, when yeah he I pulls, think he did that When he great. pulls uh, Wesley up, he, you know, Wesley's getting ready to, to fight. And he's like, oh, take a second, take a second. Uh, oh my gosh yes <laughs> like they're they're like sitting there talking to each other before the fight yeah that's something that we didn't mention in that moment that was hilarious uh, they're it's, like it's so good. they're just talking yeah yeah there's just there's so many like great moments yeah in this film yeah. that it's hard to like talk about like every single one because there's so many but that also goes to show actually let's let's talk about that for a little bit because Anigo is all about a fair fight. No matter yeah. what, he wants a fair fight. Uh, if he doesn't think the opponent is going to be good enough, he will fight with his left hand, you know, so that he has a challenge. And right. that is reversed on him when he finally reaches uh, Count Rugen, who isn't a fair fighter. He fights dirty. He runs, and then when Enigo um, is chasing him, he, like, throws a knife around the corner and takes him out you know, like a chump. Like, it, it's not even... Uh, it, it, there's no way that was fair. And so right. he, he was at a disadvantage in that fight, Inigo. But he still came out on top. And uh, I think that's that's kind of like, for me, the ultimate sign that Inigo is a good guy. And obviously the bad guy isn't a good guy. <laughs> but yeah. So I like that. I agree. So I, I think we covered it, man. Yeah, I think we did. Even though there was a couple of times that we did have uh, some issues formulating a thought on, well, at least to start. But yeah, the I beginning was hard to like, like, you know, get into just because it's like an unconventional structure. But we're, we're here. We're at the end of the podcast. Congratulations to you, listener. You have succeeded in getting this far. Um, we're going to close out now. Uh, oh, next week, Godzilla 2014. You guys have voted um, a lot on YouTube and not half as much on Twitter. On Twitter, we were actually like, Light of the Jedi was the, the higher one this past week. Mm. But okay. on YouTube, which has like, you know, 200 more votes, uh, Godzilla 2014 was the lead. So our next one, as per our poll, will be Godzilla 2014. And do you want to do, I'm thinking like maybe every other week we do a poll and then like choose a random title. Like, I'm, I'm worried that. Again, Light of the Jedi is never going to be chosen, so... Right, so, so we can choose... Yeah, we can... We'll, we can cover Light of the Jedi, 
the following week. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to us here at Project Geekology for our 22nd episode. Next Monday for episode 23, we'll be diving into our discussion of Godzilla 2014 by director Gareth Edwards. And for episode 24, on the following Monday, we'll be covering the new Star Wars novel, Light of the Jedi, by author Charles Soule. Be sure to find all links to our show and socials in the show notes so you can keep up to date on all Project Ecology news and updates. If you enjoyed today's show, share it on social media, review it on your preferred podcast application, or talk to us directly online. Alrighty, goodbye. Have a great rest of your week, everyone, and see ya next podcast. Party on, dudes. <laughs> Is that it? You're done. I'm done, yeah.